will steal my time. Kids, dismiss. So I had to beat him up here. Where you at, Frank? Hey, concrete. Just one more word about Rancho 3M. I probably missed something, so would you mind if I do this for myself? If you were on this team, would you just stand and let us say thank you? Those of you who are on the team. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This morning, we're continuing in what we call our Bible, some Bible jam. And for those of you who have not been here for the last few Sundays, or at least last Sunday, just a brief comment. Every summer, we have been accentuating the reading and studying, and meditation, and memorization of the Word of God. It's not so much that this is neglected in our church, but we wanted to make sure that we are spending time emphasizing God's Word to a particular level during this season of the year. And what we have done this summer as our Bible Jam emphasis is to be looking at several characters from the Old Testament. First, we looked at David's life, King David. And last week and this week, we'll be looking at Sarah, the wife of Abraham. For the next couple of weeks, we'll be looking at Hannah, remember the mother of Samuel. And then finally, we'll be probably spending a couple of weeks with Jeremiah, the prophet. And the purpose in all this is to experience God in the lives of these people, to hear God in their lives, to see God in their lives, to come to know and experience and appreciate and depend upon and follow and obey our God as he has given himself to us and as he has explained himself and has revealed himself in these particular four folks in the Old Testament. And so this morning we're continuing with Sarah. And the emphasis this morning will be Sarah's faith. Faith in the faithfulness of God. And what I'm going to put up or what Ronald is going to put up on the screen is a scripture that if we don't know this, it would be highly encouraging and helpful to memorize this verse. 
Now, each one of us or some of us have different versions we were raised with. But the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And he says to the Philippians right in the beginning, I am persuaded of this very one thing. I am persuaded of this one thing. Now, Paul could be persuaded about a lot. But he wants to know the church and wants the church to know this central thing, that he, meaning God, who has begun a good work in you. Now, what is a good work? It's God's work pursuing his purpose. Will bring it to completion. You notice he didn't say, I'm hoping he will if you're going to do your part of it, and if you don't, you know, and you're trying to, and if it's up to, he will bring it to completion when? On the day of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? The day that Jesus returns and we all stand before him in that great day of judgment, we're going to finally experience the fruition of everything that God has been doing in our lives. This is a promise. And if you're a normal human being, now I know some of you and you're not normal. How many of you know that I'm not normal? It isn't that funny, Ronnie. And if you're a normal human being, Probably as a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the central areas of attack by the enemy are you persuaded, convinced that what God has begun in you, in your family, will he be able to bring it to completion? Especially when you look honestly at yourself. Anybody relate to this? And thankfully, the life of Sarah will show us the very little bit that we'll talk about today. There's so much to talk about, but that God who promised is faithful and will do according to what he has promised. Now, where does Paul get this persuasion? Where does he get this? He gets it from various places, but primarily he gets it from one place, which is the indisputable truth and revelation of the word and work of God. He gets it where? In the scriptures. And so I can imagine, and I'm wondering, was Paul reading the account of Sarah in Genesis. We know he thinks a lot about Sarah because we've read Galatians. 
And so Paul looks at the life of Sarah, and he sees how Sarah began and what she went through and what the result was, and he can say, what God did in her, he'll do in me, and he'll do in you. Amen? And so this morning as we look at Sarah, let's not just look at her life as with some inspiration for us, although that's significant. But let's be convinced this is the word of God himself, and he has given us this record so we can know for sure that Philippians 1.6 is true for every believer. Father, touch our hearts today. Minister to us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis chapter 12, you remember those verses open where the Lord, Yahweh, the God of creation, appears to Abraham. Now, we don't know how that happened. Gene asked me the other night, how do you think it happened? I don't know whether it's a physical manifestation. I don't know. What I do know is this, that God communicated with Abraham. And he tells Abraham, he says, I want you to get up, go. And he makes promises to Abraham. And he calls Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees to live in a desert, to live in tents. And in order for Abraham to do this, he must do it by faith. But also, when he calls Abraham, whom else is he calling? His wife. His wife. Abraham's wife. And so it doesn't say God called Abraham and Sarah. It doesn't say that. But you see, don't forget Genesis 2.24 as you look at this couple. I think you'll just have to look that one up. And so Sarah is called to walk by faith. Now, by the time of this call, how old is Sarah? Do you remember how old Sarah was? Keith told us last week. She's retirement age. How old is that? 65. I've been retired for so many years, I don't remember what. And how old is Abraham? 75. So probably by the time God calls Abraham and therefore obviously calls Sarah, they may have been married about 40 years. You know, it's interesting. We don't think that way, do we? Maybe they just got married. No, the probability is that Sarah was very young and she marries this man. She could have been 15, 16 years old. Though they've been married 40 years. Now, what has God been doing all those years before he officially calls Sarah to walk by faith? What has he been doing? What has he been doing in your life? What had he been doing in my life? before he called us into his kingdom to live by faith. Well, God didn't do anything until he finally called me. When I got saved, that's when the work of God began in me. Well, of course not. God has been preparing her, preparing her, getting her ready for such a day as this. 
Now, we don't know how he was preparing her, but the fact of the matter is he was preparing her. Before you were saved, before I was saved, what was God doing? He was at work in us, for us, around us, before us, in back of us, getting us ready to hear and receive his word of salvation. And the promise Abraham, God promises Abraham in Genesis 1, verses 12, verses 1 2. Listen to this. Now, the Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Now, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with verse 2? If you look at Genesis 11:30, you'll see the problem with verse 2 of chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 2 is a problem, naturally speaking, because of what is said about Sarah in Genesis 11, verse 30. What does Genesis 11, verse 30 say? Sarah was barren. Sarah had no children. So if you didn't get to the first time, the Holy Spirit repeats it. And so, here she is, 40 years, no children. Now, don't want to go into all the cultural issues here, but that was a stigma, a real stigma. But look how God has been preparing. Abraham is a very wealthy, well-known if you would, businessman connected in the culture of the Ur of the Chaldeans. He's somebody. And it was typical to be a polygamist. You know what I mean by that? You have a whole bunch of women. And for about 40 years, they have no children. There's no heir. Now, maybe most of the men would have done what? Get another wife so your business can continue and your name can continue. But God is at work. And God keeps Abraham from marrying other women, as was the culture of the day. Forty years of no children, and all of a sudden she hears from this new God. Now, let's face it. I believe that she has been wanting to be pregnant since the very beginning of a marriage. Would you agree with me on that? And as such, I believe that she has been probably calling upon and sacrificing to all of these gods whom they worshipped. And for 40 years, none of these gods could do anything for her. She remained barren. Now, all of a sudden, we have a new God, a new God. Now, what gives you the idea that if all these other gods over all these years couldn't do this for you, that this new God who comes around and says, you're going to be essentially to Sarah a mama one day, would you... No religious feelings here. Would you believe him? Come on, really, would you believe him? No. Well, of course not. 
40 years, and I've been calling on 18 gods, and now we have another God to show up and says, I'm God, you come this way and walk with me, and I'm going to make you a father of many nations. That means your wife is going to have a, nah, it's not happening. That's the natural decision, the natural inclination. But what happened? You see, this new God was totally untested. You remember when we are, where we are when we read these things. We're not in the middle of Christianity here. We're not even in the middle of the Old Testament. We ain't got no evidence. There's no evidence here. These people don't know about Adam and Eve. They don't know about Enoch and Noah. They don't know anything about these people. All they know is they're living in an you know, in a culture that has all these gods. They don't know anything about this. We forget that, don't we? Can't we? Don't you just kind of assume, well, you know, no, no. she should have. No. They don't know anything. She's totally alone. She doesn't have any other lady friend whom she can go to to encourage her. Yeah, believe this new God. But we, we don't have this. We have no evidence. This God is untested. And yet, what does Hebrews 11, 11 say? By, say it, I can't hear you. You can raise your voice with me. I can yell back. By what? Faith, Sarah. Now, how do you account for that? Well, you see, what happened there was that Sarah kind of worked it up and made sure, and she tried, and she must. No. What happened was when God unilaterally intervened into the lives of these people without their permission, without their prior knowledge of who he was, having no understanding of him at all, God intervened and revealed himself. And in that, he called them to obey him. And with his call of instruction, he gave them the ability and the desire to do it by giving them the gift of faith. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved by faith. You received your salvation by faith. You did not initiate your salvation. God gave it to you, and then by giving it to you, he also included in the package the faith to receive it. Can you say Amen. You're here today in Christ because of what God has done. And then the apostle tacks on to it. I'm telling you this so you won't boast. Where did the faith come from? Romans 10, 17. What does the word say? For the word of God, I'm sorry, by, help me somebody, I, don't, I forgot what it says. Faith comes by, oh, wait, wait, wait. Let's stop for a second. We're too fast. Faith, what's the second word? Comes. What does that mean? You ain't got it. It's got to come to you. You don't have it naturally. 
It has to be given to you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God or Christ, depending on your translation. Well, somebody said, well, everybody in the world is given a measure of faith. Doesn't that what the Bible says? No. Oh, I know Romans 12, 3, brother. Yeah, but Paul says to all who are among you, he's talking to the believers, to each one among you has been given the measure of faith. It's a gift. So now, when the Lord calls Sarah to walk by faith, he gives her the faith for a 25-year journey. And what is the question now? The question is this. Is Philippians 1.6 going to be demonstrated to Sarah as to us? This is going to be the principle under which Sarah will live. I believe the God who called and who promised and who has given me the desire and the ability to believe him and trust him and obey him. I believe he's going to do it. She's going to walk by faith. I believe he's going to do it. And so for 25 years, how many of you have been walking by faith in a particular promise of God for a while? Not many. That's not bad. Okay. And so as time moves on and we are not experiencing the fruition of our hope, Sarah now has hope. <gasps> After 40 years, I'm going to have a son. 40 years. And maybe the Lord has spoken to you about something. And now you have hope. And you begin to walk day by day, not knowing when that something will be fulfilled or how it will be fulfilled. We have to be very careful how it will be fulfilled, not only when. Sometimes we misconstrue one or the other or both. And every day you get up for faith for that faith now it's easy for us to see because we know the result of Sarah's ability to be able to walk by faith but every day 365 days a year for 25 years she had to put her faith foot forward step by step moment by moment through any and every circumstance Trusting that this God, whom she is beginning to know, will actually do what he said he will do. There's a phrase the Lord gave me a few years ago. I'm not sure if it's in your notes, but if it isn't, write it down. Time tests trust. And the longer we go without what we believe is evidence or what we believe is the fruition of our hope, we are going to be challenged. And I know that's true of many in here. 
I don't know how much longer. When is God going to? I hope it's tomorrow. Finally. Finally, Genesis 21 comes. Finally. 25 years, and here's what we read. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. If you don't have a pen and a Bible open, open your Bible and underline this. As he had said. That's a Philippians 1, 6 quote. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Paul says, for I am persuaded of this very one thing, that he who has begun a good work, that's a promise, begun a good work, in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm convinced. And when Paul read this, yes. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son. And so in, Philipp, in, in, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, we see a, the definition of Sarah's life of faith. For faith is the, what? What is it? For faith is the hmm? evidence of things not seen and the assurance of things hoped for. Every day, every day. Now, does this mean that Sarah lived without any difficulties, temptations, or trials? We look at the life of a woman like Sarah. We look at these lives in the Old Testament. And often what we think is this. Well, that's Sarah, for goodness sakes. That's the apostle Peter. That's James. That's Nehemiah. But we fail to remember Sarah was a typical human being. And what does that mean? It means that she was filled with weaknesses. Can we identify with her today? She was filled with what? Weaknesses. If you don't know you have weaknesses, ask your spouse or your mom and them or your children or your best friend. We are filled with so many weaknesses that all the ones we know about is just the tip of the iceberg. And remember, the iceberg sank the Titanic. <laughs> Sarah was a woman of weaknesses. Anybody in here, you're living with someone or you're living as someone filled with weaknesses and inabilities. We forget that when we look at our own relationship with God and when we relate to others. We forget that. Second, she's filled with faults. She has some problems, this lady does. She's a manipulator. Oh, I know no women in the church are manipulators. I understand that. <laughs> My wife has never tried to manipulate me, never has. Certainly she does. She'll be the first one to tell you. And, of course, the problem is I have no faults. 
And so I respond perfectly every time, don't you see? In such a loving and gentle way, continually. Where you at, Pat? And she's not only filled with faults, she's filled with what? Failures. This lady has problems. How do you walk by faith with such encumbrances? Can you do it? Can you do it? You know, there are folks in this congregation, and if I put my glasses on, I left them up there, I could see you more clearly. <laughs> my wife says, I don't want you to put your glasses on when you look at me because you're going to see all my wrinkles. Now, all of you are going to look for Jean's wrinkles. <laughs> and I tell her, and I mean this, I'm serious. These are God's etchings of character in my beautiful woman. I don't care. I don't give a fig about what the world says is beauty. Beauty is who God makes us to be physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Amen? That's beauty to God. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, yeah, couldn't see. Well, this is what happens when you get a pastor who's almost 75 years old. We forget things. I even forget when I started, so I may have to start all over again and have another. And I look around, and there are ladies in this church. I know they're men, but it's a Sarah sermon, don't you see? And by the way, brothers, we are probably in more trouble in these issues than the women are. Would you say amen, ladies? Amen. That's it. That's all you can say. The women, the men have more difficulties, right, ladies? Yes. All right. I heard that, Donna. How do you do it? Can it be done? Isn't it better if we have no difficulties and faults? If God would take away all of our weaknesses so faith could shine through. The problem is you take away the faults, the failures, and the weaknesses. I could be incorrect here a little bit, but give me a little slack. We don't need faith. God then and his majesty and his excellence, Second Corinthians 4, 7, for we have this treasure of Christ in what? weak, failing, faulty vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. How do you do it? Can you do it? The more difficult the situation and the darker the issue, the brighter faith in Christ shines and the greater the excellencies of God are manifested. Amen? Now, I like to say that, but I don't like to live it. And I know what's going to happen. The enemy will take full opportunity, and I, I mean this, to challenge me on this. And I'm going to have to, by faith, say, it's still, uh, it is true, and I'm glad I said it. And I'll say it again. 
And so I look at people's lives here, and there's, there's several examples, but I want to say something about one lady in particular. This lady has faced what is possibly at least the top one or two most arduous and hellish difficulties a woman can face. The terrible death in a terrible way of her son. There have been bouts and battles. You see, because the battle of faith is on the battleground of God's faithfulness. That's the battleground. Is God faithful? Is Philippians 1, 6 true? That's the battleground. That's where Satan is going to attack you the most. And she would tell you, right, Debbie? Stand up so I can see you. I can't see you. I can't see you, Debbie. Okay. She'll tell you, I can commiserate with Sarah. Fear. Fear. Frustration. Anger. Tempted to bitterness, despair, overwhelming grief to the place that she almost can't breathe sometimes because of the constant remembrance of what has happened to her. There's another lady in this audience, Judy Bourgeois, has gone through a similar situation, although the circumstance of the death was different. And you say, what do I see in Sarah? What do I see in Debbie Basil? First of all, I see a whole lot of text. Pastor Peter, da, da, da. Pastor Keith, a lot of text, right, brother? What do I see? I see a woman of faith. Who has, listen to my word. I see a woman of faith who has, listen to my word. I see a woman of faith who has, decided against her circumstances to trust and praise and obey and worship her God. That's what I see here. And that's what I see in Sarah. I see that. It's difficult. The fight of faith, Paul calls and tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. This is not Diff easy. This is a difficult and arduous experience, amen, because we are fighting against principalities and powers, against the demonic forces of this world. 
against the fallenness of this condemned world against our own fleshly self. Everything is against us except God. Amen? Everything is against us except, say it loud, I can't hear you, God. Everything. We have people in this church here this morning who are battling by faith for your health. I don't know what God's answer is for you. I don't know what the result will be. And if you don't allow, if you allow me not to sound callous, I don't care. The issue is not me. The issue is thee. Sarah's living by faith. It's a gift of God. And it's a gift that God is developing and maturing and massaging step-by-step experience-by-experience. Was God at work in Sarah's life? He was developing in Sarah the good fight of faith. As I said, 1 Timothy 6.12. The work of God in Sarah empowered her to face and successfully overcome her fear. Remember, she's 65 years old. They leave and live out in the desert in a bunch of tents. Now, that's fearful enough. How many of you would like to hear God say, leave where you're going and go to Chalmette to live? I mean, does that help you to understand? Anybody from Chalmette in here? West Wego then. <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> but then when they get down there, there's a famine, and then they go to Egypt, and her husband said, That's my sister. That's my sister, don't you see? And she winds up in Pharaoh's household. Do you think this was fearful for her? Does Faith means that you will not experience fear, does it? No, it means this, that the fear that you will experience in your circumstances, faith says that fear will not overwhelm you. But that in the midst of that fear, God will work in you and through you and the circumstances to demonstrate his faithfulness in whatever has caused the fear. Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, doesn't say what. You know, there are a whole, I, I will trust in you. There are a whole lot of folks I've heard over the years saying, true believers, real believers never have any fear. Even the apostle Paul says, I was among you what? Say it again. Much fear and trembling. Oh, well, Paul had something to learn. You see, he didn't trust God enough. What about in Genesis 16, 1 and 2? Sarah's faith gives way to manipulation. Some 10 or so years later, no child. Well, normal in those days was, what do you call it? A surrogate children. Is that what they call it when someone else bears a child? So they have this Egyptian handmaiden, says, Abraham, look, 
go lie with my handmaiden, and you can have a son by him or her, and that will be my child. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne no children, but when she had an Egyptian, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abraham does this. She's giving in to manipulation. Where is God in this? Has he left and will come back to her once she can begin to express faith? So can we look at this, these two verses in chapter 16? Can we say Sarah did not have any faith at that moment? Or can we say Sarah was continuing to live by faith, although that faith was weak at that moment? Which one can we say, the first or the second one? It's the second one. She has faith. She was given it by God. He didn't take it away. He's not going to take away his gift. But the faith will rise and fall strong and weak given circumstances. There have been times in my life, thank God, I've been able to faithfully, strongly stand against something or for something that, with which God was pleased. And there have been other times, and I think too often, when I have capitulated very quickly. Where's God? Philippians 1.6. Do you believe it? Does this say that we can live any way we want? No. But it does say that as children of God, he is the one primarily, and he uses our obedience. Isn't that a strange thing? How do the two work together? I don't know. Ask Evan. He knows these things. But God is at work. Don't look at your situation and your life and wring your hands thinking that it's all over and that you don't have enough faith. If you need more faith, don't ask for it. Ask for the faith that God has given you to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Steve Roberts is a plumber. And you know that if your faucet stops running, you turn on the spigot, nothing's coming out, you call the water board and to ask them to put more water in it. Put more water in the pipes. No, you need a plumber to begin to unclog what is being, you know, what's in that pipe. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So God stoops down again and he takes Sarah's manipulation and he begins to work. But what's the result of her taking and replacing, at least to some extent, her faith in the natural with her faith in God? I know God has promised something. I know what I'll do. I'll do this and that and the other. We do this regularly. We try to talk ourselves into the decision that I'm making. It's really God. It's okay. It's God. I know it's God because this has happened, that's happened, that's happened, and that's happened. It's God. It may be, or what? It may not be. But God is there. 
And so once Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, how does Sarah feel about it? All of a sudden, her manipulation rushes back on her. Abraham, we need a son. God has promised it. He hasn't delivered. Here's what we need to do. Okay, you have a son now. And Sarah comes in after the son's born. May the wrong done to me through you. Huh? I, mean, just, I just was kind of doing what you wanted. Me. What do you mean wrong? Yes, why? Because she was not making a decision or request by faith at that moment. Twenty-five years later, finally, Genesis 18 arrives, 24 years. The Lord returns, and before he goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah, he says to Abraham, this time next year, Sarah will bear a son. <laughs> Abraham laughs with joy. Sarah laughs with what? Really? Have you looked at my birth certificate lately? I'm 99 years old. Have they given me a physical examination lately? It ain't happening. You see, the problem with God is he's unaware of all those natural things that we are too aware of. He's not enough aware of the natural that we are too aware of. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad our God is not tied to the natural? Can you say amen? People say, why do you want to say amen? I don't mean in me. I'm, that's the truth. And so she laughs. I think what has happened by now, 24 years, all of a sudden you had hope. Whoa, 24 years later, it's kind of all drained out or it's gotten so small. And Proverbs 13, 12 said, hope deferred makes the heart weak or sick. I think despair has come in. Are you at a place of despair? Despair. Can God do for you what he's promised? Can he or not? Yes. That's not the question. Will God do for you what he said he will? Yes. The question is, <clears throat> is there any misunderstanding from our perspective as to the content of the doing and the timing of the doing? You know that Jesus loves Lazarus. And so when Martha and Mary send the servant to go get Jesus because Lazarus is on his deathbed, essentially. Your friend, Lazarus, the one whom you love, he's sick. Won't you come? Now, they've never seen Jesus refuse. Now, I can, I can envision as the servant is telling Jesus what's going on with Lazarus, I think the apostle Peter has already arranged He's the Pete Shefferson, you see. He's already arranged the packing of the bags and everything else and getting everything ready because we're going on down to Bethany. How do I know that? Because Jesus has been asked to minister. 
Well, he just has to finish his meal. That's polite. After the meal, now we're going, right, Jackson? Well, we're sitting around some more. We need to get going because nighttime's coming. It's not good to travel. Okay, the next morning, Steve, we're going to go now. And by a few days later, by the time they get to Bethany, this man is not only dead, he's been buried for how many days? How many days? Four days. You see, there's a promise. But God is working out his promise for the good. Who's good? God's glory is the good, which is also our good. And maybe there's some understanding there or some discernment that needs to be made. Finally, Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Oh, the battle for faith is over. I've gotten what I need. The Lord is answering my request. I've gotten the raise. I have the husband, the wife, the child. I moved into the new house. I, I ha God is so good. God is, oh, thank you, Lord. And that's, that's appropriate. But is the battle over? May I say this to you? Jane, the battle is not over until either you are with the Lord personally or when he returns. Amen? There is never an end to the battle for and against our faith. It's not happening until we stand with the Lord one day. That's the good news. So Isaac is born. Is the battle over? Well, no, she still has to fight the battle. We have this little boy, Ishmael, around here. And Sarah's anger burns against Hagar and Ishmael. And so she asks Abraham to put him out. This time Abraham prays about it. And Abraham, you know, sends her out into the wilderness. And the Lord meets Hagar. And, you know, from Ishmael come a lot of the Arab nations. Is the battle over? Right now, the greatest battle begins. You see, this son, this boy Isaac, whose name means laughter, is a prophetic looking forward to what Isaiah 9, 6 says. For unto us a child is born. Unto Sarah a child was born, but it's not an anybody child. It is the son of promise. And then Isaiah says, unto us a son is given. Now that's a picture of another childless lady years later who was betrothed to a man 
And the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin whose name was Mary. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. So Sarah has a son. But she has more than a son. She has a prophetic sign that God will save the world through his own son. Now, Sarah walked by faith. What is the great good that came out of that? The great good that came out of it was she is the ancestor of the Lord Jesus. That's the good. Now, she may have other goods in mind, and that's fine. But there was a primary good that she didn't have any understanding of. And in all of our lives, as we walk by faith, there is a primary good that is centered into the heart and mind and purpose and decree of God that we may or may not know or fully understand. But as we walk by faith, we do so knowing that whatever is happening and however it is happening, the difficulties and the temptations of whatever, God is fulfilling that ultimate goal of revealing in us his own son as he revealed to Sarah a son. That's his good. And we're walking toward that in a maturing and more manifesting way, hopefully day by day. But you see, Sarah's battle, or the greatest battle of her life, is about to begin. She's been married now maybe 65 years old. She's 99 years old. Finally, she's been married 65 years and has a son. And then one day, about 20 years later, Genesis 22, 1 to 2, and God tested Abraham, Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering for one, on one of the mountains which I will show you. And so Sarah's son, about 20, probably about 20 years old, packs up the wood. Hmm. I mean, Abraham's too old to carry this stuff, and a 12-year-old boy can't carry it. And Abram, Abraham takes the implements of sacrifice, and they pack it up. Whom do you think is watching this? Hmm? Nick, Sarah's watching. Maybe Abraham told her, I don't know. And 
Sarah has learned something. Whatever God tells Abraham to do, what is Abraham going to do? He's going to do it. In some way, sacrifice your son. You know, we read the word too often, too glibly. Now think a moment, ladies especially. Finally, your only son. All those years, here he is, a 20-year-old wonderful man, just beginning life. You know what I mean? And your husband and the son go to a land called Moriah, and your husband's going to sacrifice that son to the Lord. How do you feel? Are you terrified? Do you have faith for it? Are you understanding what's going on? Are you confused? Do you have questions? Yes. And they go. God was touching Sarah's most prized possession, that which he had promised her. How can this be? You see, because in this he's showing us that that which we prize the most not only should be but can be offered to him in order to receive the real prized possession. Because you remember Abraham and Isaac return. Did Sarah pass this test? Well, I want to make as I close a comment about just two words in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. He calls Sarah among the holy women, and he says, gentle and quiet. Now, the Sarah that we know from Genesis 11.30, who was barren, was anything but gentle and quiet. But all those years, what is God doing? He's working into her the very image of his own son, who was also gentle and quiet. Gentle meaning what? Constrained strength. Constrain strength. When you want to, you don't because you're submitting to the greater power of the Holy Spirit to say, I'm not going to act that way. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going that way. I'm not giving in. And quiet, that doesn't mean the lack of chatter. That means inner tranquility and contentment. How do we know Sarah walked by faith? Because the apostle Peter says she's one of the holy women. And we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit through this apostle. That this woman in whom I began a good work, I have brought it to completion. So what do we learn about God through Sarah's life? What do we learn about God? 
First, we learn that Philippians 1, 6 is true. But why is it true? Turn in your Bibles, if you have a Bible, and hopefully you do, to Philippians 2, 12. Why is 1, 6 true? Because of 2, 12. What does 2, 12 say? For it is does anybody have 2.12? Did I, did I quote it? I mean, am I in the right place? I'm sorry, 2.12, you work out your salvation. 2.13, sorry. For it is what? God who is at work in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Why is 1.6 true of Sarah? Why is 1.6 true of us? Because of Philippians 2.13. God is at work in us. We have seen the faithfulness of God. We know that what he says he will do and he will complete. So here's the Apostle Paul's confession. At the end of his life, he says, I have fought a good fight. What about our fight? Fight of faith. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who love his appearing. So whom do we see in Sarah's life being manifested? We're seeing the Son of God being manifested in Sarah's life over the years and in the various areas. Eric, do you want to come up and close us, please? Here he comes. By the way, that was a good presentation today of Rancho 3M. stand up together and sing of the faithfulness of God. I will bless the Lord forever. I will trust Him at all times. Thank you. 
my portion deliverer my shelter strong tower my very present help in time of trust and faithfulness to you, Lord, you are always faithful to us. Lord, you carry us through life and through our circumstances. We trust you, Lord. We're going to be dismissed right now, but I just, I just had a sense that there may be some of you here who are fighting a battle in faith. And you may just be feeling like, you know, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to make it to 24 years that might be in front of me. I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And you, whatever it is, and I think Peter gave us some very good categories that we might have to be living in right now by faith. So maybe there's a battle for you that has been going on for a while. Those are the really hard ones to keep fighting in faith. Or maybe there's a sudden battle that's come and it's so big that you don't know what to do with the size of it. It just feels overwhelming. Well, unlike Sarah, who didn't have anybody to go to, to pray with her apart from Abraham, and they were both learning God as they were walking and taking their first few steps. 
You're in a room full of people who have had to walk by faith as well, and they know something about that. And so if you're, if you're feeling like you're running out of gas this morning, walking by faith, or you're confronting a situation that feels like it's taking more faith than you got in the tank, uh, can we pray for you this morning? So I'm not going to keep us all here because we've been, we've been here for full service. But I also don't want to walk past. You're in a place where you need to do something with what you heard this morning and not just walk out of here, get sucked in your busy week again, and just keep kind of struggling in your faith. So as we're dismissed, so I just, if you wouldn't mind taking some of your conversation into the foyer or, or, or moving in that direction, if you need prayer for faith this morning, uh, would you just go ahead and come forward? Just find your way up here. And I'm just going to ask folks that are here, if you have a burden to pray with some folks, would you just come do that? Just, just come find someone. Just encourage them in their faith. If you've ever been a person who felt like I'm running out of faith, I'm running out of gas here, I don't know if I'm going to make it. If you remember that season of your life and God got you to the end, you know, you have the baby in the end or, or God meets you in a way that sustains you, then you're in a great place to come and pray for these who are saying, hey, we're, we're, we're in the battle of faith and the fight for faith is normal. So nobody should be feeling here, oh, is this the loser line? Uh, no, if you're not fighting for faith, you're already in the loser line. <laughs> Every day is a fight for faith. But this might just be an overwhelming moment for some that just can need a boost and need others to agree with them or get a sense of God for them and just pray with them and agree with them. So if you need prayer, come on up, find your faith way all the way up front here so folks would know to come pray for you. If you're here and you, and you know what it's like to fight for faith, come and find some of these folks. Just put your hands on them. Listen for the Holy Spirit for a moment. What's he bringing to mind for you to pray for someone else? And just be sensitive. God may put a word in your mouth that just so zeroes in on what they're going through that, man, it means the world to them that you prayed that way for them. So, so be sensitive to the Lord as you come forward. And again, so you're welcome to come minister. You're welcome to come receive. And if you could take conversations uh, to the back and out towards the foyer, that would be super helpful.